0: Thank you for being here. My name is Joe. I have the honor of uh, getting into God's Word with you. Um, I'm excited about that. <sighs> do you ever wonder? Is what we experience in our in our life and as a follower of Christ and um, in the church, maybe even specifically Pleasant Valley? Do you ever wonder? Jesus, is this what you had in mind? Does anybody ever do that? I do. Um, I think it's kind of natural. Well, this morning we're going to look at um, a picture that the historian Luke gives to us in the book of Acts of uh, what church is really all about. Um, It gives us a definition of church, Christianity, uh, but in a little while we're going to also share communion. Communion. And that's another great way to explain what it's all about. Um, what Jesus had in mind when he came to the planet. Um, so anyway, we're gonna, we're gonna, that's where we're going to go. We'll, we'll end here together at this feast. We're going to celebrate this feast. We're going to think about the second feast too when we think about this feast, right? Because this isn't the only feast. Do, do you realize there's a wedding feast coming? realize that it's the wedding feast of the Lamb, the Lamb of God who took away your sins, took away your pain, took away your fear of death. We're going we're to celebrate that in this feast, but we're also going to think about the next feast. Anybody like to feast? Yes. <laughs> to be a human is to like to feast, right? Let's look at Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 31. It'll be on the screen for you. So the church throughout I want you to see the the article there, the church, not church, the church. One church. Not the church of Laodicea, the church. It's significant. One of the only places that we see in, in all the New Testament where the article is before the word church, the church. So, the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, Samaria had peace. Say what? How often does the church... Have peace. Can you remember a day in your life? The church had peace. And was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other Garments that Dorcas made while she was still with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And this crazy verse, verse 43, is tagged on for a really specific reason. Listen to it. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon. It'd be okay to put a period there, wouldn't you think? Comma, a tanner. What a significance. Oh, I'm not going to have time to develop that, so I just want to say it right now, okay? Because it's, it's introducing something that Luke saw the Holy Spirit doing in the church in, in this, at this particular time, about 39 A.D. He was staying with Simon, no problem with that. But a tanner, what does a tanner do? The tanner is dealing with carcasses all day long and was considered by all of the religious leaders in Judaism in that first century as absolutely Dirty. was never allowed to go to any temple or any Sabbath uh, event in, in, a, in, a, in a local parish. Banned. And where is Peter staying? In his house. It's an interesting little thing in the scriptures. And, and, and uh, next week, hey, does he, did anybody see Chad this morning? Ah, huh? yeah. So Chad's going to deal with uh, Acts chapter 10, and I am so grateful, not only that he's going to deal with Acts chapter 10, I'm so great to have my friend back. Um, and uh, I-, I love it, don't you, that the Lord is gracious to um, give us what we need no matter who gets to be here? Uh, right? He's faithful with that. Uh, but I am so glad to have my friend back. Uh, For for a lot of reasons, some real pragmatic reasons too, believe me. Um, But uh, anyway, it's good to have him back. But he'll handle um, Acts chapter 10 next week when there's a major pivot in the Apostle Peter's life and Peter is tripping over himself trying to figure out, is indeed this God speaking to me to do this crazy next thing? Well, God had already been preparing him by having him stay with a tanner. Okay, just a little window there, and I'm not going to have time to uh, develop that anymore uh, this morning. So <clears throat> how did how did the church get established in the first place? I don't know. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you know. Uh, thank you that we don't have to know. Thank you that the only thing that we need to do is open our, our hearts and our minds to you, turn to you, believe in you, And Lord, you do amazing things through our faith in you. And so, Father, I pray that as a result of being together, that some this morning would turn in faith to you and believe you, maybe for the first time, or return to you and begin believing in you again. But, Father, whatever happens, I pray that faith would be strengthened as a result of spending time in your word. Um, Faith comes from hearing the word of God. And so, Father, do that in us and do way more than I could even pray right now. And so thank you for your word. Thank you for its clarity. In the name of Jesus, amen. <clears throat> so how did the church become established in 36 A.D. Judea? If you're at all a historian, you like to read things, and there's some great historic um, historians in that first century that can teach us all sorts of things about what was going on. For instance, in 36 A.D. when Jesus was arrested and, and, and killed and rose from the dead. And, and what's going on uh, in, in our text here is about 39 um, A.D. Um, uh, it, it's, it's unbelievable that the church could get established in Judea in, the, in, this, in this first century. It, it is such an act of God. And then not only that, it came to a place in 39 AD that it had peace and it was being built up so much so that it multiplied. I'm sure that the apostles were pinching themselves like, how is this happening? We are the lowest of lows. We're below the Jews compared to the Romans. And the Jews, the Romans hate us, the Jews hate us. How is this happening? You ever wonder that? How does it really happen? And then to think that of all the impact over 2,000 years of Jesus Christ and that the church still exists is such a testimony to the existence of God. Can I have an amen? It should not happen. And he did it not by his wrath and not by fire and not by all of this radical, crazy, political leveraging. He did it through his mercy and through his justice that he took on for you and me. He did not call us into court. He went into court for us, y'all. We were all guilty, and we should not have a relationship with Almighty God. But God became the just became the unjust so that those of us who are unjust could become just before a holy God. You see, because nothing can stop this God who has established this new covenant with his people. And so the building of the church has so little to do with us. Really? Absolutely. I can't tell you the number of passive verbs in this text. There's no active indicative verbs that tell us, okay, this is why the church existed, because something that a human being did. It's all predicated upon what Jesus Christ did for you and for me. I want some of that. Does anybody else in the room? I know it's hot and humid. And I know that we got a lot of Scandinavian stuff going on. But I want you to be excited about this, God. Because he's excited about you. Huh? All right. Don't make me get more excited. <laughs> Excuse me. A uh, little testimony, right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning about verse 26, down, I don't know, 28, 29, something like that. Remember, he says to the church at Corinth, not many of you were all that. <sighs> Remember, none of you were very wise in the standards of this world. None none of you were really all powerful out there. But God has taken that which was not and made it something that was so that his name would be honored and glorified. So somebody might be in here this morning feeling all humble because you don't make enough money or you don't have this or, you know, you don't, your body doesn't look like this. Right? Uh, Right? Is he talking about such things in church? (laughs) Right? We live there. I'm not much. I feel so finite. And I know my weaknesses. Anybody else got a weakness in in the room? Can anybody, you know, not understand that the human being needs a God that just loves them like crazy? And it is going to do things for us that we could not do for ourselves. And that's how the church made it. Because God Almighty has done things for you and for me and for the church that we could not do for ourselves. And the same is true today. So don't get all dressed and start playing churchianity on us. It's not going to work. We are still dependent, aren't we? Completely, entirely dependent upon his grace. Well, I better get started on my message. <laughs> oh, oh, brother, here we go. All right. So Luke gives us this picture of Christianity in Acts chapter 9. He gives us this, uh, what the church looks like when it is healthy and expanding, when it's living in and out of the promise that Jesus Christ made. What is the promise that Jesus Christ made about the church? It's, it's in Matthew chapter 16. He says, I am going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right? You remember reading that sometime? Well, that's what, that, is a, that is a passage of scripture. Um, that's what Jesus said. I am going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the reason that you and I exist in Christ, the reason that there is a church is not because we're really, uh, that, that we've done anything. It's because he's done everything for us. And we've said, we need you, Jesus. We've said, come Lord Jesus, we cannot do it on our own. So one way to describe Christianity, it's in your notes, Christianity is about winning the battle with the beasts between two feasts. I had to put that in there because I do not want us to miss communion when we think about the church this morning, right? There's two feasts that God has given to the church. There's one that we, we can go to every day, every moment. Remember that we feed on the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. What do you mean by that? Didn't he, isn't he the one that says, I am the bread of life? Didn't, isn't he the one that says, I am the vine? Isn't he the one that said, I am the spring of living water? you got to come and feed on me. He says, you got to feast on me. So in Christianity, we get our power and energy for living by feasting on the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Not, this is not my idea. This is Jesus Christ's idea. Right? And, and some in, in John chapter 6 is that where that's recorded, that you got to feed on my body and feed on my blood. Otherwise, you can't have anything to do with it. A lot of people left crazy talk. We, I don't know that we understand or ever come fully to understand how absolutely dependent we are on the body and the blood of Jesus Christ for every breath that we draw. You cannot overestimate the, the nutrients and the power, the eternal power, of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that we think about in this feast. And Jesus in the first feast reminds us, look, I'm not going to drink of this vine again until I come back and we're going to have a party. And if you want to look at where that party is registered in the scripture, it's in Revelation chapter 19. It's this banquet. It's this wedding banquet with lamb. Lamb who's going to come back, and he's going to party in a big old feast with us. This first supper talks about the forgiveness of our sin. This second supper comes, the second feast comes after the great white judgment of God when everything is put right. Finally, everything is consummated in the kingdom of God. And he wants us to live in light of that feast that's coming. Do you, do you realize that? That is, that is the will of Jesus for you is to live your life between these two feasts. And while we're doing that, we have beasts to fight. Would you agree with that? And the reason I choose, chose beasts is because it rhymes with, you guys are so smart, I think I can just say amen right now. <laughs> right? So... What are those beasts? Those beasts are, when you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror, that is your major beast that you have to deal with. Your sinful nature, your selfishness. I want the world to be the way that I want the world to be. Anybody ha- seen anybody act like that? Not you. You know, the person that you look at an angle on in the mirror, you know, that one over the right? Right? That's the number one beast, and, I, and I'm, I'm saying that it is number one, Now, the second beast uses the number one beast constantly, and that's Satan himself. He brings accusations, he brings temptations, he brings deception to the sinful nature and tricks me and tricks you into thinking and behaving and doing and saying all sorts of things that we always wish we wouldn't have done or said, right? And so we have a second beast, and that's Satan himself. And then we have a third beast, and that's this this world that we live in and the message of the world and the craziness and the trouble and the turmoil and the chaos in this world. Anybody experience that? Right? And so what Christianity is about is about doing effective battle of these beasts between the two feasts, okay? It would really be good if you'd par- participate with me right now. Right, am? Yeah, put your phone down. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> I am so glad I caught you with your phone up. Oh, that's, that's great. And I will never bring it up again. It's on tape. So I don't know that we'll ever have to bring it up again. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So uh, this afternoon, tomorrow, every other tomorrow, from now on, you will fight the beast between the two feasts. Whether you want to or you don't want to, you will. Right? You cannot get out from this battle. You can win the battle, but you cannot get out of the battle. You can capitulate to your flesh or to Satan or to this world and feel like you're winning the battle, but you're not. And you know it, especially because if you are a believer, the Spirit of God is in you. He will not settle for less in your life. Can anybody relate with that? When I want to put down the weapons, I don't want to do the battle. I don't want to do the war, man. The Holy Spirit in me. Why is that? Well, we're going to talk about that in this feast in a little while. There's a promise that we're going to drill down on in about 20 minutes from Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 40. I wouldn't even mind if you wouldn't listen to me and just go meditate on that passage the rest of this time. We're going to drill down on it because it's so significant. Why is it that I never can seem to give up on Christ? It's not because of you. That's a little hint. Everybody, anybody ever feel like giving up on this whole deal? It's so stinking difficult. I just want to move to the woods and get away from myself and every other human being. Right? But the problem is you take yourself. Right? You ever thought about that? Whew, if I do that, I'm going to be there. <laughs> uh, life would be so much better if I didn't have to be with Joe McConkie all the time. Huh? Anybody? I mean, not not that you think about that about me. (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, Samaria had peace and was being built up. One of the significant things about, excuse me, my my nose just dripped. Did you see that? (laughs) You didn't have to like. (laughs) I'll tell you, Ken is right with me back there, isn't he? Oh, I get to here. Let me get that off of there. There we go. Right. Uh, it's family, right? Okay, and I did have COVID. I got, a, I got my own Kleenex. Thank you. Oh, wow. They are way too engaged with me right now, Jesus. Yeah, turn away. Look at, think about something else right now. Get your phone out. Google something. Yeah. So how, how did it have Peace. In 39 A.D., when in Alexandria, Egypt, Judaism is being persecuted like crazy, and all of a sudden Jerusalem and the Jews in Jerusalem knew that that same group was going to come and take them out in Jerusalem. It's interesting. Who was bringing the persecution? The Apostle Paul. He's taken out in a really powerful way, isn't he? He's converted. He's now now breathing out the gospel of Christ rather than fire to condemn the the, the body of Christ, right? And the Jews are being persecuted by this group coming from Alexandria. There's turmoil in Jerusalem and in Judea with all the Jews. They have to turn and and fight another battle. I think it's the grace of God in 39 AD for the church. Are you ever glad when when you're like, oh my goodness, the world is almost like kind of manageable right now. Anybody? It feels kind of nice to have peace. Now, we also know that that peace does not come from circumstances, right? Um, It comes from the feast and what the feast represents. That everything is taken care of for you. Everything that really matters is already taken care of you, Joe, And so if you're looking for a Christ-centered mantra, this next verse, this next part of of the last part of verse 31 is a great one. And so so the church had peace and was being built up, period. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. You're looking for a mantra? God, help me to walk in the fear of God and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And God, would you multiply that in me? And these are, all, these are all passive verbs. What that means is this is not something that you can end up doing. Well, I'm just going to now use my effort and I am going to walk in the fear of the Lord. No, it's, descri- it's a description here. It's not a prescription. This is what, when Jesus is getting his way in a human being's life, the means of the new covenant in your life, what it does for you and what it does for me is, it, is God has in that covenant committed to me to, be, to helping me internally fear him, be in awe of him, fear missing out on all that he has for me. And that's the greater, the fear here. You see, the fear of wrath and the fear of death has been removed already. So what fear are we talking about in this passage for the believer? We're talking about the fear of missing out on the goodness and the power and the strength and the grace of God. That's the fear here. They were walking in that, oh my goodness, where else could we go? You are absolutely, we are in awe of you, God we want you more than anything else and by the way that does not that is not generated or sustained by your will and volition this is a ministry the second part of this mantra and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came because you believed in Jesus Christ and is reminding your soul moment by moment that you are in him by grace and by mercy and by his love and by his work and by his strength, not your own. That's, we're gonna, did I say we're gonna drill down on Jeremiah 32, 40 later? (laughs) It's, it's, it's in very, every good way destroying me this week as I've studied this text. You're looking for a mantra, a new one, a fresh one? Have your way, Lord, come, help me by your Holy Spirit walk in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And don't you, and I don't have time to develop this, don't you appreciate the tension between the word fear and comfort in the same verse? Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, comes and lives in you. And you have all at the same moment, all of the time, the fear of the God and the, and the comfort of God, working. I fear that I'm going to miss out, God, because of my stupidity and my sinfulness, right? Anybody relate with me? You mean you sin, Joe? Oh, come on. Let's wake up here a little bit. I'm a human being, man. I need Christ just as much as you do every moment of every day. I need the Holy Spirit to help me stay in the fear of God, and I am so grateful that he also provides for me the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Can I have an amen on that? He gives me both the fear of God and the comfort of God all at the same time. Does that just like make you like, thank you, Jesus? Right, Because I need the fear of God, anybody else need the fear of God I do man because if if I just go if i I can become addicted to comfort, anybody and that that's just that 's uh, just Joe being a little vulnerable, <laughs> I can be a- addicted to comfort, and i 've seen some other people that maybe that can happen too. I need this, I need the Holy Spirit to come in and remind me look Joe. It, if you, if you don't continue to do your part in growing in faith, you're going to miss out on all that I have for you. So I'm so grateful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. All right, we're going to, we're going to um, speed up here a little bit. Now, as Peter went here and there, why did Peter go here and there? Because he could. Remember, the church was at peace. He didn't have to worry about the Jews hijacking him anymore. And the Romans, they 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 were off of their back for a while for some reason. Paul, he was on their team. And so, Peter went here and there among them all, and he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. And there he came, he found a man by the name of And Now we don't we don't see in this one in comparison with the next um, part, the next picture that we get. Um, we don't know for sure if Aeneas was a believer or not. We know that Tabitha was a disciple of Christ. It says that in the text. So this may be a non-believer. And and it doesn't say that anybody brought this man to Peter. It just says that uh, Peter uh, found a man named Aeneas. Um, If Jesus is getting his way in our life, and if we are so filled with the fear of God and the comfort of the Holy Spirit and that's working in us. Um, That should change how we see people. Here's a guy that's in need. I wonder, Jesus, if there's something that I could do for him. Huh? It it changes our our daily routine and I know that when Jesus is getting his way in my life i 'm way more apt to be interruptible. If not i 'm just all about me. And so um, and this guy was bedridden for eight years that 's significant, right? I mean, there could be worse things, but th- that 's a significant thing for this guy. And he was paralyzed, and Peter said to him, "And, Jesus Christ heals you." My sense is that this guy was not a believer because he, uh, Peter, is very emphatic about saying it's Jesus Christ here, and I don't know that you know him, but he heals you right now. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. Look at this statement, the, the last statement in this paragraph. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, Not heard about him, saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Is is this kind of, you know, hyperbole here that everybody in that town believed? Mm, Seems like it. It's crazy, isn't it? Um, I wonder what would happen if the hundreds of thousands of followers of Jesus Christ in the Winona region would be experiencing the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit and we were less and less about ourselves and about our agenda and we were salt and light in a community and um, our eyes were open man what, what is it God that you would have me do and be and um, I just wonder how many more people would see Jesus and like this text says, they turn to him. Did you ever wonder that? It was happening here. Um, They had peace and they were being built up, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied, Uh, another passive verb, the church did not multiply itself. Jesus did. But it happened, and what we learn from the text is what a person needs to do is learn what it means to trust God and experience the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit as a great mantra for walking with Jesus Christ. And so, next paragraph. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple, so we know Tabitha was a believer in Christ, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when uh, they washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. Um this is, this is kind of a shadowing here of this next text, and Pastor Chad will open up for us in Acts chapter 10. Um, Peter's going to be asked by a couple men that come to his house to come and, and visit a place where a Jew was never supposed to come and visit and do some things that uh, was crazy for a first century Jewish person. And so we're beginning to, there, there's, there's actually the, our, our author Luke is kind of revving up and ramping up to a major pivot in world history that's recorded in Acts chapter 10. But we're now at a time where the water is kind of still in the body of Christ, there's peace, Peter can walk around, do what he does, he's kind of in that mode, you know, and you're like, and you, you know, as in your own work world or your own private world, your own ministry world, man, when is that peace, you're like, oh, that's so nice. you know, I mean, God is answering prayer. People are turning to the Lord and they're actually picking up what I'm putting down, right? And you're like, oh my goodness, it's happening, right? And then, you know, life happens and reality happens and, you know, craziness happens. Um, But anyway, um, it's happening here. There's there's a time of peace and we, we like those times. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other things that darkness had made. Uh, But Peter put them all outside and knelt knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up, then calling the saints and widows he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. Many turned to the Lord in Lydda. Many believed in the Lord in Joppa. So we have in this first story a great miracle. Would you say that's a great miracle? Someone was healed. Awesome paralyzed eight years healed great in the next story we see even a greater miracle would you agree dead (laughs) now alive pretty great miracle but i do not want you to miss in this text the greatest miracle of all they turned to the lord and they believed in him that's the miracle of all miracles you see some human being can survive death in christ would you agree Death is not the end of the story for a dead believer. Tabitha was going to be okay for eternity. She can survive that. You can survive being paralyzed. You can survive cancer. You can survive bad news in your marriage or finances or with your kids. You can survive all that stuff. But nobody can survive until they turn their self to the Lord. That's the greatest miracle of all, that you have the ability to believe in Jesus Christ, that you have turned to him, is not because you deserved it. Does anybody understand that? You didn't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But some way, some reason, I am able to believe in Christ for some reason. Joe McConkie, on February 3rd of 1976, when I was two years old, he gave himself to Jesus. Jesus met him right there, and my life has forever been changed. I can't explain it, but I know it happened. And so that same thing is true in this room this morning. Yeah, God could come in and he could heal your paralysis or he could raise from the dead those who have gone before you. But the miracle of miracles is when a person turns to the Lord and believes in him. Would you agree with that? That's the one that we cannot live without. We can live without everything else, but we cannot live without Christ. Amen. All right, we're ramping up to the feast, okay? So if, if y'all, are, they're out there talking and they need to be in here with those trays in their hands right now. <laughs> Thank you, Linda. All right, all right, here we go, all right. So they uh, began that lifelong journey, these people that turned to the Lord in Lydda and those people that believed in the Lord in Joppa. They turned to the Lord. They believed in the Lord. They they began this lifelong journey of walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They began experiencing victory over the three beasts between the two feasts, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to go and celebrate what Jesus Christ has done. We are going to make a statement because we take this cup and take this bread. We are going to make a statement that we have victory over the beasts, that we have the ability through the power of Jesus Christ to say no to temptation, to say no to the deceptions, to say absolutely not to the accusations, to not live and be generated by shame and guilt. And so there is something so very winsome. Isn't there even light about the person who is walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit? Would you agree with that? There is something so peaceful about the countenance of that person. And you just want that, right? And so this is what the, I think this is what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in your life and in my life this morning. He's wanting to do this. And and remember, they're they're passive verbs. It's not going to be about your will and you learning more and more, okay, what does it mean to walk in the fear of the Lord? And Oh my goodness, I better figure out what it means uh, to live in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. No, this is something that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you keep your focus on Him, He begins by His Holy Spirit doing that in you. And so let's share this communion feast. Well, yeah, you guys come on up. I'm going I'm to do some talking here. Um, are you guys going to sing, like, during or, okay, don't, don't mind us right now, we're just having a little meeting, yeah, after we, okay, all right, good. I, I'm going to put a passage of scripture, so um, I don't know if everybody can going to be able to see that, do you mind, especially just kind of moving off, I, I want people to see this text, it's in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 40. I know I'm stepping out for people that are watching online. Look at this. This is prophesied 700 years before Christ came. I will make with them an everlasting covenant. God Almighty, I'm going to enter into contract with you. And I'm going to enter enter into a a covenant, which means there is this legal agreement and a relationship agreement. I'm going to enter into this covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. Do you see that? It's not because anybody ever did anything. It's before anybody had a chance to do anything. He established a covenant in this feast with you and me. He said... I will not turn away from doing good to them. Let that sink in a little bit. God Almighty, through Jesus Christ and His sacrifice, looks at you and says, I will not, I will not ever under any circumstance turn away from you. Can I have a hoop and a holler? I know you got something in your hands. Right? Right? You don't spill that juice all over. We're going to use it here in a minute. I will not turn away from doing good to you. Does anybody need some of that this morning? You came in with a heap of not good And it goes on, and I will put the fear of me, I will do it. It's not something you can all conjure up. I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they, this is, the, I will never turn away from you. Do you hear that? Do you hear that person? believer, maybe someone who needs today to give themselves to Jesus, I, God Almighty says, I will never, ever, ever turn away from you. That's what we're celebrating in this feast. That's what we're doing this morning. I'm going to turn away from doing good to you. It's in my covenant. I will put my, I will will do this. I will put my fear in you. And I will under no circumstances ever turn away from you. And he has based his absolute, complete reputation on his word he will not break his covenant with you. Is that something to celebrate here before the the big feast later? Do we need this feast? In between the two feasts, do do we need this feast? And so Jesus says, this is my body broken for you, given to you, for you. Not for me, Jesus, says, for you. It's about you and your desire to enter into a covenant with me. Now, I'll take care of all the details in the covenant, right? Jeremiah thirty-two forty. And so Jesus says, take and eat that in remembrance of me. As you feel that food, that, that, that bread in your mouth, think about the covenant. That, that's, a, that's a physical feel of a, an eternal reality of a covenant. I will never turn away from you. I am for you. I will put my fear in you. Don't worry, just hang in there with me. Trust in me. I will not turn away from doing good to you. The covenant in the blood, isn't it? Jesus promised it when he came the night that he was crucified, right? The night that he was arrested and put on trial. He took, also after he took the bread, he took the cup and he said, hey, this, I just want you as, as often as you do this, I just want you to do this in remembrance of me. I'm never going to give up on you. Take and drink. Hey, let's do that. Whoa, whoa. See that cross right there? There's another one right there, isn't there? Let's raise, a, let's raise a, a toast to Jesus Christ this morning. Huh? Right? Let's take and drink in remembrance of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right. Mm. Let's stand and worship.